I've seen so much transformation, so many stories of how God has really renewed and restored you in your faith and how God has uh, strengthened you and really given you uh, a sense of empowerment in him to be able to seek him in a way that you may have never sought after him before. And so it's always encouraging to hear those stories of people who are actually growing in the grace, growing in the grace. And so um, there's anything, this is why I do this. Um, this is why we do this. This is why we come together. This is why we spend time in the reading of the word. We do it to empower you. Um, I've said this, the, the, uh, the great travesty in our churches today is that we have believers who are in the church who uh, have yet to have read through the scriptures and we have believers in the church who their only exposure to scripture is when they are in front of a minister of the gospel once a week. That's the only time they get any kind of exposure to the scriptures, which is a travesty because what it creates is a body of people who are uh, profoundly dependent on a man or a woman to teach and to instruct them. This dependence, I believe, is what leads to uh, the stories, the multiplicity of stories of people who've been hurt, who've been offended, who've been broken, who've been abused uh, by the church is because we've put the congregation and the audience in a place of uh, passivity, uh, dependence, and as a result, we have what we have today, which is the American church, which in large part is a travesty. And so I am here is because I believe that um, my calling is to equip you, right? To equip you, to empower you to live a life of uh, interdependence, not dependence, but interdependence, where you're able to grow in the grace, in your discipline, in the word. At the same time, we can grow together with each other, but never in a place where you're you're entirely dependent on a person, an individual to help you grow in the grace of God. I'm here to help you grow and to move on your own and that you can be empowered to move and to be who God has called you to be. And so, um, you know, pastors are called to release people, not keep people. Pastors are called not to hoard people, but pastors are called to equip and send people. Um, the sheep of the flock are not our sheep. They're his sheep. He is the great shepherd. We are simply sent to commission people out to go and do the work and the mission of God. And so if I can empower you and send you out so that you can move in what God has called you to move into, then man, look, look, I've, I've done a good service. I've done a good deed and I can rest well with that. And so that's what we're here to do today. We're going to read through the book of Chronicles. If you have been here, you know that we've been journeying through scripture. Um, we have uh, been reading through the Old Testament over the past few months for 20 to 30 minutes a day. And for those of you who have committed to that time with us, I'm sure you've seen how much scripture you've been able to get through. And I hope and I pray that your perspective of scripture has profoundly changed, that you're beginning to see the scriptures in a less intimidating way, and that you're seeing how the scriptures play a part in a grander story, in a 
bigger story, right? The grand narrative of the gospel, the grand historical narrative of God bringing restoration to humanity and by consequence to the earth. And I hope you can see what God is doing, what God has done and what God will do as we read through it. But you're seeing it from a bigger perspective. And so um, we've been doing that for 20, 30 minutes a day. It's another thing that I, that I'm, that I hope you're, you're seeing through this is that you can get through a lot of scripture with simply a commitment of 20 to 30 minutes a day. We're in second Chronicles, y'all. We're in second Chronicles chapter 17. Some of you started with us, uh, when we were finishing the New Testament. Some of you have been with us from the beginning, reading from the New Testament all the way through. And now we're reading through the Old Testament. Some of you guys came in when we started Genesis. Look at how far we've gone, guys. We are in second Chronicles chapter 17, y'all. And if you've missed any of the episodes, I just want to, um, or any of our sessions, I, I want to encourage you to download the Read and Rant podcast. Okay. Want to download, uh, want to encourage you to download the Read and Rant podcast where you can catch all our previous readings. But guys, we have been reading through scripture and I'm truly proud of those of you who have committed to the time, uh, to read along with me and for those who have caught up to the reading as well. And so that's what we're here to do. We're here to continue to engage in the reading of the word for your edification and uh, exhortation. And so uh, we're going to ask this reading is, again, uh, I want to preface by saying this reading is um, meditational. It's not a Bible study. It's simply a time where we're just reading through the scripture and we're postured to hear from God. Okay, we're just postured to hear from God. And what we're going to ask him is, Lord, what are you revealing concerning yourself? That's the first question we're going to ask. The second question that we're going to ask is, Lord, what are you revealing concerning people? Right. That's the second question we're going to ask. And the third question that we're going to ask is, is, Lord, what are you revealing concerning me? Um, we're not here to study scripture. If you want to, we have a Bible study tomorrow at 8 p.m. to check it on Patreon to be a part of that. But today we just want to meditate on the scripture to hear from God. So we're going to spend about 20 minutes reading and then we're going to spend another 20, 30 minutes reflecting what I call ranting. And that's why we call it the Read and Rant podcast and the Read and Rant session. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you have... Lord, made yourself evident to us, Lord. You find ways to continue to reveal yourself to each and every one of us, Father, as we come today together from different parts of the world and different time zones. Lord, to read your word, Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would meet us right where we are in the moment and the time that we are in. Father, I pray right now, bless us, guide us, lead us. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Let's get it. Chapter 17. Then Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his place and strengthened himself against Israel. And he placed troops in all the fortified cities of Judah and set garrisons in the land of Judah and in the cities of Ephraim, where Asa, his father, had been taken. Now the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the former ways of his father, David. He did not seek the Baals, but sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments and not according to the acts of Israel. Therefore, the Lord established the kingdom in his hand and all Judah gave presents to Jehoshaphat and he had riches and honor in abundance. 
and his heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. Moreover, he removed the high places in the wooden images from Judah. Also, in the third year of his reign, he sent his leaders, ben Hal, Obadiah, Zechariah, Nathanael, and Micaiah, to teach the cities in Judah. And with them he sent Levites, Shemaiah, Nethaniah, Zebediah, Asael, Shemarimoth, Jehonathan, Adonijah, Tobijah, and Tabadonijah, the Levites, and with them Elishama and Jehoram, the priests. And they taught in Judah and had the book of the law of the Lord with them. They went throughout all the cities of Judah and taught the people. And the fear of the Lord fell on the kingdoms of the lands that were around Judah, so that they did not make war against them. Hmm. Also, some of the Philistines brought Jehoshaphat presents and silver as tribute, and the Arabians brought him flocks, 7,700 rams, 7,700 male goats. So Jehoshaphat became exceedingly, or sorry, increasingly powerful, and he built fortresses and stored cities in Judah. He had much property in the cities of Judah, and the men of war, mighty men of valor, were in Jerusalem. These are their numbers according to their father's houses of Judah, the captains of thousands, Adna, the captain, and with him three hundred mighty men of valor. And next to him was Jehoanah, Jehoanan, the captain, and with him 280,000. And next to him was Amasiah, the son of Zikri, who willingly offered himself to the Lord, and with him 200,000 mighty men of valor. Of Benjamin, Eliada, a mighty man of valor, and with him 200,000 men armed with bow and shield. And next to him was Jehozabad, and with him 180,000 prepared for war. These served the king besides those the king put in the fortified cities throughout all Judah. Joseph had riches and honor and abundance, and by marriage he allied himself with Ahab. After some years he went down to visit Ahab in Samaria, and Ahab killed sheep and oxen in abundance for him and the people who were with him and persuaded him to go up with him to Ramoth-Gilead. So Ahab king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat king of Judah will you go with me against Ramoth Gilead and he answered him I am as you are and my people as your people we will be with you in the war so Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel please inquire for the word of the Lord today and the king of Israel gathered the prophets together 400 men and said to them shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or shall I refrain and they said, Go up, for God will deliver it into the king's hand. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not still a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is still one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him, because he never prophesies good concerning me, but always evil. He is Micaiah, the son of Imla. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say such things. And the king of Israel called one of his officers and said, Bring Micaiah, the son of Imla, quickly. The king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, clothed in their robes, sat each on his throne. 
And they sat at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets prophesied before them. But Zedekiah, the son of Chenana, had made horns of iron for himself and said, Thus says the Lord, With these you shall gore the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied so, saying, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the king's hand. And the messenger who had gone to call Micaiah spoke to him, saying, Now listen to the words of the prophets with one accord. Encourage the king. Therefore, please let your word be like the word of one of them and speak encouragement. And Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, whatever my God says, that I will speak. Then he came to the king, and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? And he said, Go and prosper, and they shall be delivered into your hand. So the king said to him, How many times shall I make you swear that you will tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Then he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you he would not prophesy good concerning me but evil? Then Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing on his right hand and his left. And the Lord said, Who will persuade Ahab king of Israel to go up, that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? So one spoke in this manner, another spoke in that manner. Then the spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. The Lord said to him, In what way? And he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, You shall not persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of these prophets of yours. And the Lord has declared disaster against you. Then Zedekiah, the son of Chanana, went near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, Which way did the Spirit from the Lord go from me to speak to you? And Micaiah said, Indeed, you shall see on that day, when you go into the inner chamber to hide. Then the, then the king of Israel said, Take Micaiah, and return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the, son, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison and feed him the bread of affliction and the water of affliction until I return in peace. But Micaiah said, If you ever return in peace, the Lord has not spoken to me. And he said, Take heed, all you people. So the king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go to battle. But you put on your robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself, and they went into battle. <laughs> now the king of Syria had commanded the captains of the chariots who were with them, saying, Fight with no one, small or great, but only with the king of Israel. So it was, when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, that they said, It is the king of Israel. Therefore they surrounded him to attack. But Jehoshaphat cried out and said, Sorry, but Jehoshaphat cried out and the Lord helped him and God diverted them from him for it was 
when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, that they turned back from pursuing him. Now certain men drew a bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. So he said to the driver of his chariot, turn around and take me out of the battle for I am wounded. The battle increased that day and the king of Israel propped himself up in his chariot facing the Assyrians until evening. And about the time of sunset, he died. Chapter 19. Then Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned safely to his house in Jerusalem. And Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Therefore, the wrath of the Lord is upon you. Nevertheless, good things are found in you, in that you have removed the wooden images from the land and have prepared your heart to seek God. So Jehoshaphat dwelt at Jerusalem and went out again among the people from Beersheba to the mountains of Ephraim and brought them back to the Lord God of their fathers. Then he set judges in the land throughout all the fortified cities of Judah, city by city, and said to the judges, take heed to what you are doing, for you do not judge for man, but for the Lord who is with you in the judgment. Now, therefore, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Take care and do it, for there is no iniquity with the Lord your God, no partiality, nor taking of bribes. Moreover, in Jerusalem, for the judgment of the Lord and for controversies, Jehoshaphat appointed some of the Levites and priests and some of the chief fathers of Israel when they returned to Jerusalem. And he commanded them, saying, Thus you shall act in the fear of the Lord faithfully and with a loyal heart. Whatever case comes to you from your brethren who dwell in their cities, whether of bloodshed or of offenses against law or commandment, against statutes or ordinances, you shall warn them, lest they trespass against the Lord and wrath come upon you and your brethren. Do this and you will not be guilty. And take notice, and Moriah the chief priest is over you in all matters of the Lord. Zebediah, the son of Ishmael, the ruler of the house of Judah, for all the king's matters, and the Levites will be officials before you. Behave courageously, and the Lord will be with the good. Behave courageously, and the Lord will be with the good. Hmm. Chapter 20, verse 1. It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and the others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. And some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria. And they are in Hazazon Tamar, Tamar. Sorry, Hazazon Tamar, which is Engedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord, and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over the kingdoms of the nations? 
and in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you are you not our god who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people of israel and gave it to the descendants of abraham your friend forever and they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name saying if disaster comes upon us sword judgment pestilence or famine we will stand before this temple and in your presence for your name is in this temple and cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save and now here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt. But they turned away from them and did not destroy them. Here they are, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit, our Lord God. Will you not judge them? For they have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us nor do we know what to do but our eyes are upon you hmm. now all Judah with their little ones their wives and their children stood before the Lord then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel the son of Zechariah the son of Benaniah the son of Jael the son of Metaniah a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly and he said, listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude for the battle is not yours, but God's. Hmm. Tomorrow go down against them and they will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. <laughs> You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves and stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord and the Levites and of the children. Sorry, then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Kohathites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And they went out and Joseph had stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established. Believe his prophets and you shall prosper. And when he has consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord, who should praise the beauty of holiness. As they went out before the army and were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Now, when they began to sing and to praise the Lord, set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah and they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made, sorry, made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude. And there were their dead bodies fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came 
to take away their spoil, they found from among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewelry, which they had stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away. And they were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. And on the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Barakah, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of that place is called the Valley of Barakah until this day. And they returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat in front of them to go back to Jerusalem with joy. For the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. So they came to Jerusalem with stringed instruments and harps and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Then the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. So Jehoshaphat was king over Judah. He was 35 years old when he became king, and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azuba, the daughter of Shili. And he walked in the way of his father Asa and did not turn aside from it, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away. For as yet the people had not yet directed their hearts to the God of their fathers. Hmm. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat, first and last, indeed, they were written in the book of Jehu, the son of Hanani which is mentioned in the book of the kings of Israel. After Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, allied himself with Ahaziah, who acted very wickedly. And he allied himself with him and made ships go to Tarshish. And they made the ships in Ezion-Geber. But Eliezer, the son of Dedova, of Maresha, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because you have allied yourself with Ahaziah, the Lord has destroyed your works. Then the ships were wrecked so that they were not able to go to Tarshish. The word of God. The word of God. So good to see uh, you all. So good to see each and every one of you participating along with us in this time of reading. What I love about this is that, um, or what I love about the word of God is the word of God is not exclusive it's not exclusive to um, the spiritually elite. The word of God, and even in the understanding of the word of God, is not exclusive to um, the theologians and the educators. The word of God makes wise the simple. And what I love about the word of God is that there's a an intellectual depth to the word of God that would tantalize even the greatest mind. And yet... The word of God has a simplicity to it that will cultivate even the smallest and the simplest mind from those who have been wise in their many years to those who are green in their life in their early years. The word of God is still good for them and still applicable to them. And that's why I love that. I'm hearing stories of people who are bringing even their kids into this time of reading because again, um, it's good for them as it is for each and every one of us. Um, I love that my boys are here. I know my boys are watching right now. Um, Ellison and Israel. And pretty soon Theo's going to be able to um, understand what we're speaking about and what we're saying. And that there's something that they're all getting from it and out of it. One of the things I'm, you know, really, really encouraged by is how even my, uh, my, my boy Israel, 
he'll come up to me and he'll tell me what he learned today from the read and rant. Um, he'll say, so I learned this about the read and rant. Or my son, is, my son Ellison will come to me and ask me a question in regards to what we've talked about in the read, of, read and rant. And the thing I think I'm profoundly encouraged by is how much they actually receive. I mean, some of the questions that I hear my, my sons asking, of course, it would make any uh, biblical thinker proud. But I just, I, as a father, I'm just, you know, I'm truly, I love my boys and I'm really proud of them. And I just love that they're able to take this time and to come together here and receive it. That is to say this, that if the boys can receive something and if the Lord is doing something in them in this time in the reading of the word, right, Ellison and Izzy, then what can he do for each and every one of us? There, this is not this is not so overly complex and complicated that we that we can't receive from God and that we can hear from God. There is a complexity theologically to this text, but we don't have to really sit down and simply talk about the, the complex theology of the text more than to talk about what is the Lord actually saying to us and what is he speaking to us. This is why this is a Bible reading and not a Bible study. Because I will argue to you that the reading is actually more important than the study. I will argue to you that reading the word and spending time simply prayerfully asking for God to speak to you through the word uh, can be more fruitful for you than simply a study of scripture because some of the greatest theologians still battle and deal with the matters of faith. No, it takes an encounter with God and an exchange with God. And so we posture ourselves in a way to receive from God and to exchange in in his with his spirit testifying to our spirit and so we allow the word then to be the conduit by which we receive from god and so i'm profoundly encouraged by that and that's why we come together here we come together to be empowered by the word not simply to be informed by the word too many people want biblical information but don't want biblical transformation yet information doesn't transform it's the spirit that transforms it's the spirit that transforms. So today we ask God, God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? God, what are you revealing concerning people? And Lord, what are you revealing concerning me? This is the question that the five-year-old can ask and the question that the 55-year-old can ask. It's the question that a young child can ask and yet a question that an octogenarian can ask. We all can ask that question, God, what are you saying to us today? And that's what I'm praying about. I give you an opportunity today to eavesdrop into my time of devotion and consecration. But what God is revealing to me may not necessarily be what God is revealing and speaking to you. This is important for you to understand that. Because two people can read the word and yet two people are receiving two different things. Because again, the word of God is not just about information. It's about transformation. We want to be transformed. And so God's going to address us right where we are about the matters that matter most to us. So yes, I am in this tension because I've given you the opportunity to eavesdrop into the conversation that I'm having with God through the reading of the word. But the tension that I have is that there's a personal exchange and yet there's an exchange that I believe I'm having with each and every one of you as we spend time in the word. 
Like I'm, I feel deeply connected. As a matter of fact, even as I'm reading and as I'm meditating through this, I hear the Lord speaking to me into certain things that I need to speak into those who are here. So I'm always wrestling with this tension. There's always this tension, you know, that I'm dealing with. And yet there's a deep thing that's happening when we come together collaboratively in interdependence to read the word. So what is God saying today? And I'm not going to spend a lot of time. I'm not here to commit a whole bunch of time, but simply to point out, point out a couple things. As we've talked about before, right, the grand story, the biblical narrative, we are in, in, in many ways recapping right, what has happened in the history of ancient Israel. This is what the book of Chronicles is. And remember, Chronicles 1 and Chronicles 2, it's really one book. It's the book of Chronicles. And what it is, is a summarization, okay? It's a summarization of the history of the children of Israel, particularly speaking, history through the lineage of kings. Of course, it began with Abraham uh, when God made a promise to Abraham and said he would be the father of many nations, and yet through his family would come the restoration of all nations. That family became a nation, and that family became the nation of Israel, we call it the nation of Israel, but they understood them as the children or the descendants of Israel. Israel was Jacob, who was a son of Isaac, who was a son of Abraham. So Israel is Abraham's grandson. And what Israel did was Israel had 12 sons who became 12 tribes. Who became, well, 12 sons who became 12 families, who became 12 tribes, who became a nation. And this nation now has navigated through the wilderness, made a covenant with God, made a covenant with God to be a holy people who are separate, who would be the people that God had promised Abraham, a people that would bring restoration to all people that would allow them to father and to mother many nations. Yes, yes, these children, Israel, was called to be a nation that's holy and separate, separate from all other nations, to bring the righteousness and justice. They were called to be a people who would show the world what God was like. They were governed by a whole different law. They were governed by a whole different way of living. They were governed by the law of God that was given to them by inspiration at Mount Sinai. Everyone else was governed by other things. Power, sexuality, violence, deception. You can call it Game of Thrones. That is what they were governed. The rest of the world was governed by that law because that law is governed by the self. Self-preservation, self-ideation, self-actualization. It is about self, me, myself, and I. Yet the children of Israel were governed by something greater. And because they were governed by something greater, they were given this law to set them apart. And here they are now. They've navigated through the wilderness. And, and so we're, we're hearing now a recap of the story of the children. And that's what the book of Chronicles is. It's the last of the books. And yet it's placed in a very interesting and awkward place in the text. And yet we're seeing the story now of what has transpired, that through the history of Israel is a lineage of kings. God does not promote slavery. <laughs> Just because of slavery in the scriptures doesn't mean that he promotes slavery. Quick side note for those who like to make that argument. Um, and so we see now through the history, right, 
of humanity, there's a thread. There's a history of Israel. And this is what the text is giving us. And the history of Israel is, is a backbone to the history of humanity. And on the backbone of the history of the children of Israel are the history and the lineage of kings. If there's anything that the text is revealing to us as we've been studying this history of the lineage of kings is that these guys fell short. They weren't good enough. And yet God is still writing his story through a history of people who fell short of his glory. And funny how for many of us, we're waiting for perfection for God to use us. And yet God is showing how he's writing a story through a people that he has chosen. There's a difference, my family, my brothers and sisters. When you live a life chosen, then a life where you live of performance. There are those who live in a life of performance, waiting to be in a certain place to believe that God would use them, waiting to perform in a certain way, believing that then God would love them, waiting to get to a certain, get, get their lives together, to believe that God is, is with them and that he loves them and that he never leaves them, that he never forsakes them. There's a, there's a people here who they're still waiting to get it together, to come to God, waiting to get it together. But there's a difference between when you have earned it and when you cannot earn it. Because, see, you've got to get to a place where you realize you actually cannot earn the love of God. You can't learn the grace of God. You can't earn it. You can't earn the love of God. You can't earn the grace of God. You can't earn the mercy of God. You can't earn God's affirmation. You can't earn God's acknowledgement of you. You can't earn God's calling over your life. You can never perform in a way to earn it because God himself has placed a standard for his children that neither, no, none of us would ever meet up to and measure up to. And yet God has still chosen us in him. This is the beautiful posture that we can find ourselves in the freedom that we can live in to know that God has chosen us. It wasn't based off of our performance or our doing. It was that before the foundations of the world, God knew me and he chose me. This is different than even forgiveness. And yes, it's true that you've been forgiven. But can I take a step further, Semi? Is there are many people who, when they think of God's love as God has forgiven me, they're still thinking temporarily in the past. Meaning, when you say that God has forgiven me, it's God has given me a past for what I have done. And that's really the issue for many of us today is, is we still have the fear of knowing that even though God has forgiven us for what we have done, we don't have the confidence that we're, God will be okay with us for the lives that we live moving forward. Because there's something deep down inside of us that says to us, I'm going to make mistakes and, and I'm not going to do what I ought to do. And I'm not going to, I'm going to do some boneheaded and dumb things. There's some things that, that I'm going to fall short in and I'm going to make some mistakes. Being forgiven gave me assurance of the past. But can being forgiven give me assurance of the future? Here's where you begin to understand the profundity of the forgiveness of God. When you understand that you've been chosen by God. You see, when you've been forgiven, you, you, you don't just have, you, sorry, when you've been chosen, 
You don't just have the affirmation that God has forgiven you for what you've done. When you've been chosen by God, you have the affirmation that no matter what you've done, He's chosen you. Not only no matter what you've done, but no matter what you will do. See, here's the problem. We have Christians who still live on performance. We believe that we have to come before God perfect. And if God fixes us, we got to stay fixed. And we got to we got to stay we got to keep it all together. And we got to be perfect. And yet, here's the thing. We have this insecurity even with our heavenly Father that if I screw this up, I might actually lose him. And so we're not yet totally free. Because we believe we've been forgiven. But do we know that we've been chosen? Because once you know that you've been chosen, you get out of living a life of performing for God. You begin to live a life out of identity in him. You know that there are Christians today who they're still saying, God, sorry. God, sorry, God, sorry, I messed up again, God, will you take me back? God, I messed up again, will you take me back? God, I I made another error, Lord, will you take me back? God, please forgive me, will you take me back? God, I did it again, will you take me back? As if God left. As if God rejected you. As if you weren't chosen by him as if you're not his child or his son. That's why I say that many of us, we come before God as bastards. We almost treat God as if he's a deadbeat dad who will only show up if we can live up to his expectations. And yet when God chose us, he chose chose us when we were nowhere near his expectations. We don't live for God's approval. We live out of God's approval. And the children of Israel should be a perfect example of that. And even these kings should be. Because these kings, these guys don't look good. They don't look good. All we've been reading through the story of these kings, they don't look good. They've all made mistakes and they've all made errors. And yet God has chosen them. He's chosen the children of Israel. God's working this story through a broken, sinful people. And yet he implores them over and over again to be holy and to be separate. And yet they continue to screw up and God continues to love them and choose them. That's just a side note for some people in here who are still waiting And saying, Lord, when I get my life together, then I'll come to you. God wants you the way you are. And let God work his love through you. God wants you the way you are. Let him work his love through you. Stop trying to earn God's love. Stop trying to earn his grace. As a matter of fact, saying that you're waiting to get it together to come to God 
is in many ways and in many dimensions and in many facets offensive to the gift of grace that he has given you. Either you've been forgiven of all of your sins, past, present, and future, or the cross means nothing. But you have to make a choice and a decision about what you believe. We do not come before God with shame and guilt. We come before him boldly, boldly before the throne of grace. You are forgiven and you are loved. And once you understand that, then you'll learn how to live in freedom. Here's the thing, family. We see the story of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat, who is now the next king in the story, we saw what happened to Asa. But now we've got Jehoshaphat. And man, the scriptures are speaking very, very highly of him. Jehoshaphat, this king, is we're celebrating this man. And this he he's but along the way he's made he's made some mistakes. The one mistake that he makes is his allegiance and his alliance with Ahab. He makes his alliance with Ahab. And we know about Ahab. <laughs> uh, we know a lot of things about Ahab. We read about him already. Of course, this is a recap. But notice that Chronicles is giving us a different angle. And we see this recap about Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat makes his alliance with Ahab. And if you, you know, we, we talk about Ahab and how evil he was. And Ahab, this evil king, and he did all this evil. And for many of us, notice that for many of us, when we talk about evil, we talk about this might and this power and this, um, you know, what we think bloodshed, oppression, economic oppression, all this stuff. But the scriptures don't point to Ahab's evil in that way. The scriptures point to Ahab's evil as his compromise and his cowardice. He let Jezebel run the show. And so remember, Israel has been broken up into two nations. You have the nation of Israel in the north and the nation of Judah in the south. Ahab was king in the north. Samaria was the capital of Israel in the north. And uh, Jerusalem was the capital of, 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 of the kingdom of Judah in the south. Jehoshaphat is king over Judah. Ahab is king over Samaria. And yet again, facing a common enemy, they come and they form an alliance. They form an alliance. And upon forming that alliance, they call on a prophet. Man, I don't have the time. I don't have the time. <laughs> they call on the prophet. Funny how they call on Micaiah. Micaiah, who is a prophet, who Ahab recognizes as a prophet, who Jehoshaphat recognizes as a prophet. And they bring in the false prophets. The false prophets come in and they begin to speak words of encouragement telling Ahab what he wants to hear. Micaiah then comes in, and Micaiah at first, in a very condescending way, just reaffirms everything everybody else just said. He says, yeah, you're going to go into battle, and everything's going to be all right. You're going to be victorious. You guys who formed this alliance, you guys are going to be all right. You guys are going to win. You guys are going to be victorious, and we will be protected and covered. Nah, but then Jehoshaphat, Sorry, then Ahab calls on Micaiah. He doesn't like Micaiah, but he knows God speaks to Micaiah. And so he calls on Micaiah. Micaiah responds in a very condescending way and says, well, what they say, that's what I say as well. May God be with you. You will be all right. 
But he says, ah, oh, no, 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 no. I need you to tell me what the Lord is telling you, which I find a very odd, it's a very odd place, a very odd story in the Bible. Because here's a man who got what he wanted to hear, but what he got, what he wanted to hear didn't resonate with what his soul was saying. Because his soul was communicating something profoundly different and his spirit was not affirming to him what all the other guys had said. The other prophets told him what he need, what he wanted to hear, but Micaiah came up and spoke what he needed to hear. <laughs> oh, there's so much here to say. Because isn't it funny how many of our prophets and our preachers and our speakers will simply say the things that we want to hear? Did you know that when you simply speak what somebody wants to hear, you understand that that's an, that's a, that's an act of hatred towards that person. When you're simply a people pleaser, it's an act of hatred. Why? Because you're saying it for your own self-preservation or your own self or your own affirmation, be it self or other people, or you're only saying what people want to hear because again, you get a benefit from that. There's an exchange. You get to remain in power. You get to remain in position. You get to remain where you are. You get to live a life of comfort. These prophets were affirmed by the king and probably were on the king's payroll. They didn't want to compromise the money. They didn't want to compromise what they could earn. But here's the thing. When you live a people-pleasing life, you live a life of temporality. When you live a life simply telling people what they want to hear, you live a life without... <laughs> without... uh without tenure you live a life that has an expiration date to it you live a ministry or a life or a calling that eventually ends that doesn't the reason why is because when god executes something and when god is promising something and committing something when people don't get the hard facts and then they confront those hard facts later on they come back to you and realize that you were a liar in the first place I've always said this, and let the prophets hear this, please. Say something that will make you right 10 years from now, not something that makes you feel good right now. Let me say that again. To every prophet, to every person who speaks words of exhortation, say the things that will make you right 10 years from now, not the things that will make people feel good right now. Because here's the problem. You can make people feel good right now, but then 10 years from now, they're going to see that you weren't about that life. And what are they going to value later on down the line? Not the one who told them what they liked, but the one who told them they were right. And I think for many of our pastors today and many of our ministers today, we like simply preaching what people want to hear and not what people need to hear for the sake of temporal popularity. Yeah, we get the popularity right now. We get the likes on Instagram and Facebook and on Twitter and on Snapchat and people like us and they like all that stuff. They like all the stuff that we say in the moment that we say it. Hmm. But let time go by and people begin to see that your sweet words begin to erode and they begin to rot because what you said wasn't what people needed to hear in that moment, simply what they wanted to hear. One of the things I've always committed, and maybe it's gonna affect, it'll affect my popularity, it'll affect 
Um, I, I care nothing about my popularity, to be honest with you. Uh, maybe it'll affect uh, my voice or my platform. Uh, if anybody knows anything about me, I won't ever say anything that you want to hear. I only speak what the Lord is convicting me to speak of. Because to be honest with you, I'm not looking for you to feel good right now. I love you too much for that. I love you too much for that. I'm going to tell you what you need to hear right now. In the same way that I look at my sons, I'm not going to tell them what makes them feel good. Just so daddy can like them. I'm going to tell them what they need to hear. So that later on down the line, they can thank dad and say, dad, thank you. Thank you for telling me what I needed to hear. And I think often when we speak, it's not about simply a, a word of rebuke. Because sometimes we don't rebuke in love. It must be seasoned with grace. There are people who are just rebuking because they hate people. Okay, that's just the reality. There's some people who are just cussing people out because they just don't like people. No, 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 no. You got to rebuke in love. But you got to tell people what they need to hear. If you ask me anything right now, the reason why we see this implosion in the church is because we actually don't see anything happening in love. We see people saying really, really good things that make us all feel good, right? We see people saying all the good stuff that we want to hear, that the Lord's going to help me. He's going to bless me with a car and he's going to bless me with a good life. And he's going to, you know, he's going to help me live my best life. And that there's nothing actually wrong with me. It's there's everything wrong with everybody else. And, and everybody else needs to get it together because the world revolves around me and God's here to help me. And God's going to turn my life around because again, God lives for me. I don't live for God. God lives for me. So we have a bunch of people who will preach a message that's very egocentric, very, Hey, God's here for you to do what you want to do. And then in the and you realize, man, the life where I make my life the center of it ain't actually very good. A me-centered life and an ego-centered life doesn't really get me anywhere. And over time, what happens is, is people begin to realize, man, that person didn't love me because if they knew better and they didn't tell me, then they allowed me to fall down a path. of destruction but if I have someone who says man I love you but right now you need to you need to straighten that out and straighten this out and get this part together and get that part together not because well you're going to hell if you don't but because God has more for you Fam, if there's anything, and I'm ranting, and I had like three or four things I was going to say, but I'll save it for tomorrow. We'll be back tomorrow. And I know I got to be done in a couple minutes. But if there's anything, I, I, fam, if there's anything that burdens me, if there's anything that burdens this man of God, who you see standing before you, who's cussing at the screen right now, if there's anything that burdens me, is that there are everyday believers who live with no power who live with no purpose, who God has so much more in store for them, and yet they live menial, purposeless lives. And yet God has so much more. 
No, 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 no. Not the purpose that we put, uh, that the world puts on us, but but the great calling and the, the purpose that God gives each and every one of us, the power that he gives each and every one of us. And what frustrates me, fam, is I see people dying in the churches. What frustrates me, fam, is I see people dying in the pews. What frustrates me, fam, is I see people who grew up in church, spent decades in the church, gave tithes and offerings and gave of all their time and all their lives to the church. And in the end, nowhere, nothing, no growth, no influence, no power, no story. Because the church has not pushed members of its body to move in the authority and the power of God. So guess what I'm here to do? I'm here to cuss you out because I love you. In the same way I look at my sons, I I have two boys right now. Uh, I'm so proud of them. They're, they're, they're just some gifted, gifted kids. And sometimes I raise my voice Sometimes I raise my voice. You want to know why? Because I know what they're capable of. I know what you're capable of. And man, the Lord has shown me way too much about what the Lord can do if his people would wake up and walk in the calling that they're called. Walk worthy. In in Ephesians chapter 4, walk worthy of the call that they've been called by to stop living a life where I need a man of God or a woman of God to make me feel something to actually hear from God themselves and to move in the power themselves and to have the same gifting and ability to go into their areas of influence. If it's in the nursing home or if it's in the funeral home or if it's in the boardroom or if it's in the nurse's lounge or if it's in the teacher's facility that people can look at them and say, that's a person. Oh, that person's different. That person's got power. That person has influence for, for, for lives to be changed and to tra- be transformed. I want to see people live lives that in the end, people will look at them and say, there are generations that have been transformed through that person. There have been generations transformed through that person and that person and this person. If there's anything that frustrates me is that people just come to church on Sunday, sit in the pews, look down at a book for an hour and then leave only to come back the next week and look the same way again. God has more in store for you. So I'm going to convict and I'm going to challenge. It's always nice when you don't have to coddle just, you know, parishioners in your church. You can just challenge the entire body. I've got, I've got almost 300 of you on TikTok right now. I have almost 100 of you on IG right now. And plenty of you will watch this afterwards. Plenty of you will see this on the Read and Rant podcast. Plenty of you will, will check it out on Patreon um, because I'm going to post this right away on Patreon right after this. Plenty of you are going to read this or watch this and attend to this. And sometimes you're going to hear because it's going to get, this is, this is we're, at, we're about to hit a phase now where we're seeing how God addresses the chosen people. And it doesn't look sweet. We're going to see right after this book in Chronicles, we're going to see, man, these chosen people, they're in captivity. 
They find themselves stuck at times. They find themselves in these situations. It's like, God, where are you? Where are you? How could you execute your judgment this way? How can you execute your justice this way? God, these are your people. If these are your people, why would you let them go through this? Because God is writing a bigger story through them. And he's writing a bigger story through you. And so I'm going to speak with the expectation that God wants more from you. Not because, you know, this is what you need to go to heaven, but because you've been called to something higher. I want you to put that in the chat. I've been called to higher. I've been called to more. I just put that in the chat. I've been called to more. God's calling you for more. He's ordained you for more. He, he calls you to be a peculiar people. He's called you to be set apart. He's called you for more. You've been called for more. You've been made for more. You're called to go higher. You are seated with him in heavenly places. So let's live like that. Let's be peculiar people. Let's not just be human, mere human, <laughs> but let's be a people who are called by God to bring his kingdom everywhere we go. Father, we leave here, Lord, convicted by your word. Lord, we see, Lord, a prophet who uh, speaks to Ahab, a coward, speaking the word to the coward. And we already read this before. We know how this ends, Lord. We've, we've read this just a, a few books ago. We know how Ahab dies and we know why he dies. And yet we see the story of Micaiah and we're being reminded of the prophets who came who didn't speak the things that we wanted to hear, but spoke the things that we needed to hear. And so Father, I thank you, Lord, that you've brought prophets in this time, people who will speak the truth of your word. Lord, let it not be simply me, but let it be your people who awaken again. Lord, awaken to the, to the call, the higher calling that they've been called to, to walk worthy of the call that they've been called to. So Father, I just pray that you would bless us today, Lord. Remind us, Lord, that we're called for more. We're called to do more. We're called for higher. Lord, bless each and every person, Lord, who hears this today, Lord. Allow the word to take root in them. Lord, to speak to them in, Lord, in a unique way. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, family. I love you all. It's really, it's truly love. And I'm so excited to hear the stories of how God is transforming your lives. If you're looking to support us, support us on Patreon. Um, the link is in the bio. Okay, the link is in the profile. Learn more about what we do. The link is there as well. If you're looking to get on our podcast, the podcast is free. Um, it, we post these episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. This one may not be available for another month and a half or so because of the rhythm that we have, but this will be available right away on Patreon. So anyway, I love you all very much. God bless you guys. See y'all tomorrow. We'll be back here reading through Chronicles. Love y'all. Blessings.